Well, good evening, everyone. We are so glad that you are here tonight. We are uh, looking forward to worshiping together, reflecting upon uh, the cross and what Christ has done for us this Good Friday. And uh, we want to start off this evening with a reading and just uh, some time of reflection. So let's focus our hearts as we begin our time of worship this evening. Why did Christ come? Christ came to demonstrate God's righteousness and to confirm the promises given to the fathers. He did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He came into the world to testify the truth. lost. He came to save sinners. to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. just bow your head for just a moment as we start this evening. I know that coming up here on, on an evening when it's not a normal time, uh, getting your family together, getting ready for uh, gatherings this weekend, there can be many different things that are on our hearts and our minds as we come into this place tonight. And I just want to take a moment and just focus our hearts for our time together there's anything that is distracting you this evening, if there is any sin that you need to confess, please just take a moment. Do that right now. You know, Christ came for many reasons. Let's think about the fact that he came for us that God, the Lord, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God who created the universe, who literally spoke all of creation into existence, 
the God that is so powerful that if he uttered a word from his mouth and we heard it, that we couldn't even live. That God cares about us. He acted on our behalf so that we could be made right with him and we don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything of value that we could give to him, but because he loved us, he sent Christ to die for us. Scripture says that's how he demonstrated his love for us. And so as we sing this first song tonight, I encourage you to reflect upon the sacrifice and reflect upon the love that is shown in the gift of Christ.
There's joy in the morning, oh sinner be still. Earth has no sorrow, and heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow, and heaven can heal. So lay down your burden. So lay down your burden. This 
is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the blue that makes me white as snow. And no other bounds I know, nothing but the blood of Sing that again. Oh, precious is the flow. And oh, precious is the One last time, oh precious is the flow. Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. It's good to be with you tonight. In a few minutes, Mark will be addressing a particular statement Jesus made from the cross. Jesus made seven statements from the cross, all of them profound, all of them important as we seek to understand the event we refer to as Good Friday. Mark will be showing us the last one. But as we arrive at the communion table tonight, I want us to consider the first one, the first statement Jesus made from the cross. Do you know what that is? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. It's found in Luke 23, and it presents one of the core promises of the gospel, the promise of forgiveness. So if you're one of our ushers tonight, I want to invite you forward to begin handing out the communion elements you should know that we practice open communion at Faith Bible Church, which is to say, if you're a visitor tonight uh, and you have trusted in Jesus Christ, we want you to celebrate this meal with us. Uh, if you're not a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, uh, simply uh, watch uh, as we participate in this meal. Uh, but this meal is for those who have put their hope, their faith, uh, everything upon Jesus Christ. As these elements are passed out, you'll see two cups uh, the uh, bottom cup is where the bread is located. The top cup is the juice. Make sure you take both cups uh, as those, as those uh, servers come by. Now, I don't know if forgiveness is hard for you. I suppose it hinges on the offense. But as you know, when we forgive a debt or an injury, 
we are declaring that payment for settlement is not required. If repayment is made or, or required, then really there is no need for forgiveness. So what that means is forgiveness assumes grace. Grace, by definition, gives to someone something they don't deserve. That's why forgive has the word give within it. Forgiveness is not getting even. Forgiveness is giving away the right or the impulse to get even. Settling the score is off the table. And that is precisely what God does to us when we trust in Christ. Acts 10.43 says it plainly, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If we believe in Christ, God no longer holds our sins against us. He forgives them. We are settled. Our accounts with God are square. But this raises a problem. We all know that simple forgiveness tends to ignore something very, very important. It ignores justice. And when it comes to our sin, justice is serious business because our sin is against a holy God. He is the one whose glory is injured when we ignore or disobey or blaspheme him. And that's a big deal because nothing is more prized or more precious than God's glory. It is ultimate. He is ultimate. And he is the one mankind has rebelled against. And so he can no more set us free from the crimes we've committed against him than a human judge could throw out the case of a known murderer. Justice does not let murderers walk. The injury done to God's glory by our sin, it must be repaired. And the only way it can be done is through justice. This is so that God's glory can shine even more brightly. And what that means is this. If we criminals are to go free and to be forgiven, there must be some dramatic demonstration that the honor of God is upheld even though sinners are being set free. And so that is why Jesus Christ suffered and died. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness costs us nothing. That's why we call it grace. But it cost Jesus his life. That's why we say that it is just. When we gather at the table, when we, when we honor Good Friday, we are giving full attention to the good news that God does not hold our sins against us. We are a forgiven people. You are a forgiven person. And we are giving also full attention to how beautiful Jesus Christ is, whose blood made it right for God to do this for us. Grace and justice, they meet at the cross. The, the wisdom of God takes center stage at the cross. Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, he referred to the cross as the masterpiece of divine wisdom. And I have a quotation here from Watson. His, his language is old and sort of quaint, but, but just give careful listen 
to how Watson works out this concept of, of divine wisdom. And he does it by depicting the eternal counsel of God as a conversation amongst God's attributes. He writes, Mercy had a mind to save sinners and was loath that the justice of God should be wronged. It is a pity, says Mercy, that such a noble creature as man should be made to be undone, and yet God's justice must not be a loser. What way then shall be found out? Angels cannot satisfy for the wrong done to God's justice, nor is it fit that one, uh, that one nature should sin and another nature suffer. What then? Shall man be forever lost? Now why mercy was thus debating with itself what to do for the recovery of fallen man, the wisdom of God stepped in. And thus the oracle spake, let God become man. Let the second person in the Trinity be incarnate and suffer, and so for fitness he shall be man, and for ability he shall be God. Thus justice may be satisfied and man be saved. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, thus to make justice and mercy to kiss each other. So heaven and earth meet in this meal in front of us, just as they do on that great day of judgment that's coming. And on that day, more so than any other day in history, God will be bringing all things to light. But on this day, at this table, a glimpse of that future disclosure is also to be experienced as well. And what I mean by that is, is your sin should be seen to a greater degree when this meal is in front of us. But that's not all. His love is to be seen to a greater degree as well. And therefore, forgiveness, what, what Jesus cries for at the cross, we should see that in high definition as we delight in the bread and in the cup before us. He knew, Jesus knew what forgiveness required, and he knew that he was the requirement. Bow your heads, silently go before the Lord as you prepare your heart to take the supper, and I'll lead us through taking the elements in just a moment. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Let's give thanks for the bread before we take together. Father, coming to you, we come to you knowing that in sending your son, you sent him to be broken, and he willingly went to be broken for us. Lord, we thank you for his obedience unto death, even death on a cross. After he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, as we consider the blood, as we've just sung about the blood, 
we know that this blood was poured out for us, the blood of your son, our Lord Jesus. And, and in being poured out for us, it was an atoning sacrifice. That blood is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It makes us pure. It makes us, as we've just sung and declared triumphantly, whiter than snow. Lord, we thank you for your divine wisdom that, that caused your mercy and your justice to meet. And we thank you that it took the sacrifice that it took so that we can know that we are right with you, our holy God. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you that we are starting this, this evening together. We're starting it by coming to the table and tasting what it means to be a gospel people, to be a people who look unto Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, the one sacrifice so that there would be no other needed for us to be in relationship with you. We look to the cross tonight, keep our gaze there, and, and, and keep uh, us mindful of your amazing love, that it's our, it's our joy to honor you because of what you've done in forsaking your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to lift our voices together? Sing this out. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Sing that again. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? forgiven I'm forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again King would die for me. 
are my king. You are my king. Jesus, you are my king. You are my Submit to him tonight. He is our king.
this out. I will not boast in anything. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. It was. I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom, but this I know, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I will not glory in anything, not accolade nor might, not stature or acclaim on earth, but in the cross of Christ. I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will revel in its sacrifice. I will boast of him who gave me life. I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will not glory in anything that from his name would take. Honor that belongs to Him Who's clothed in infinite praise I will glory in the cross of Christ I will revel in the sacrifice I will boast of Him who gave me life I will glory in the cross of Christ
anything, not riches, power, nor fame. From what is there that I possess that did not come through grace? I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will revel in His sacrifice. I will boast of Him who gave me life. I will glory in the cross. I will glory in the cross. I will glory in the cross of Christ. I will glory in the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening. And God, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf. God, we recognize how difficult that must have been as best that we can, God. But God, we thank you that because of what Christ's done, that we have been made right. God, that justice has been served from our sin. And so God, we are moved as we reflect upon just the power of the cross. We worship you tonight. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, thank you for coming tonight to spend this uh, Good Friday evening with us. Uh, we've had a wonderful time thus far singing and uh, taking the Lord's Supper together, a great time of worship. And uh, we're going to continue our worship now as we open the Bible together. Um, our Good Friday message this evening is from Luke uh, 23, uh, 34. Evidently, uh, Jay and I got our wires crossed. I'm speaking on the first saying of Jesus from the cross as well. So the Lord must know that we need a double barrel of this passage tonight. But if you'll turn in your Bible there with me, Luke 23 and uh, verse 34. This is uh, the first saying of Jesus from the cross. I'm sure most of you have heard of the, the seven sayings from the cross or the seven cries from the cross. During the six hours uh, that Jesus hung on the cross, he spoke seven times. And uh, these words are supremely important because of who spoke them, but also because of uh, where he said them from. Uh, one man I read this week made a statement about the cries of Jesus from the cross. It's one of the most beautiful statements I've heard about this. He called these words of life from the tree of death. Now to me, that's one of the most beautiful ways you can state this. These are words of life spoken from the tree of death. And in Luke 23, 34, we find the first words of life spoken from the tree of death. Let me read uh, Luke 23, beginning in verse 33. We'll just read verse 33 and 34. When they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know of what they are doing. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. Back in uh, the late 17th century, the Duke of Argyle was captured by King James II of, in, in Scotland. And at the trial, uh, King James said to the Duke of Argyle, he said, you know it's in my power to forgive you. And the Duke replied, it may be in your power, but it's not in your nature. It wasn't in his nature either because the Duke of Argyle got killed. 
But the good news tonight for us on this Good Friday is that Jesus Christ is our King and that it's in His power to forgive sins, but it's also in His nature uh, to forgive sins. And we see this nowhere more clearly than in this first cry of Jesus from the cross. His first words we hear from the cross, we might call this a royal pardon. And so that's our title for this Good Friday message, a royal pardon. And I've got just three really simple points, brief points tonight uh, to take us through this, the scene the saying, and then the significance of this for us. Uh, we see the scene in verse 33 when they came to the place called uh, the skull. Now, you've all heard of, of killing time, but this is killing time. I mean, it's Friday morning, April the 3rd of A.D. 33, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, they're just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem on a, a major roadway or a thoroughfare where people were crucified to, to have a maximum impact. And they arrived there at the place of the skull or skull hill, which is the place where the Romans did their killing. And the crossbeam that Jesus had been carrying out to the place of the skull was thrown down on the ground and Jesus is flung down on it. And the crucifiers begin their grisly task of pounding those spikes there into his wrists and just the jolts of anguish that he experienced. But at that moment, most, most commentators believe, most scholars believe, at that very moment as Jesus is being fastened there to the cross, he utters his first words from the cross. And I want to read a couple of quotes here from some of my favorite preachers. Charles Spurgeon said this, while the red drops of blood were spurting on the hands which drove the nails, while yet the hammer was bestained with crimson gore, his blessed mouth poured out the fresh warm prayer, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then J.C. Ryle said it like this, These words were probably spoken while our Lord was being nailed to the cross, for as soon as the cross was reared up on end, it is worthy to remark that as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. So these first words of Jesus from the cross are words of prayer and petition and intercession. And by the way, this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Back in Isaiah 53, 12, uh, the prophet said this, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils among the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. That was fulfilled with the, 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 the criminals on either side of Jesus. And it says, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before he's born, Jesus would be crucified between two thieves, and he would intercede for the transgressions as he's bearing the sins of many. So that's the grisly scene here. The, the Messiah is praying. Uh, the Messiah is fulfilling prophecy. This is the place of the skull and the petition of the Savior. Now let's look at this saying briefly. While on the cross, Jesus addressed God as Father directly twice. The first saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Then over in Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The first and the last uh, of these sayings from the cross. Now think about this for a moment. After all the, the torture and the beating and the abuse and the grueling journey to Calvary, the mocking and all of that, Christ prays. And he calls God Father. Erwin uh, Lutzer makes a great statement. He says, even as Jesus is being crucified, he calls uh, God his Father. 
He called God his father, even in the midst of being crucified. He still knew that God was his father and loved him. And by the way, this isn't our main point tonight, but that's a great lesson for us in suffering as well. As you and I go through the suffering of life, can we still cry out to God and call him father? But, but in life's darkest moment, he prays, and remarkably, his prayer wasn't for himself. Now, you could say, well, it's not that surprising he prayed, because if we were there, we'd be praying too, but we'd be praying for ourselves, right? God, help me. God, deliver me. But Jesus cries out and prays, but he doesn't pray for himself, and remarkably, he prays, forgive them. Now, we read that, and we say, are you serious? I mean, I would be praying, uh, deliver me and destroy them. Help me and hammer these people who are tormenting me. But this prayer of Jesus really shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus is just practicing what he taught his disciples. Love your enemies and pray for them. The, the entire incarnation of Jesus was about forgiveness. And his death is all about forgiveness too. He's dying to provide the forgiveness that he's praying for. Stu Epperson says this, Jesus is praying for his tormentors and dying for them at the same time. So his death is purchasing the very pardon that he's praying for. One man says, he, he who needed no forgiveness died for those who were condemned without it. Now you say, well, who was Jesus praying for when he said, Father, forgive them? A lot of people think it's just a prayer about the Roman soldiers. The very least, certainly, he's praying for the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross, but I don't think it was limited to that. Uh, priests were there, religious leaders were there, the Romans had uh, had a part in his crucifixion, Pilate and Herod, uh, the malicious mob was there. Uh, surely they were included in this prayer of pardon as well. But them, I think this word them, Father forgive them, includes even us as well. John MacArthur says this, he says, inevitably someone will ask, whom Christ was praying for. Was it the Jews who'd conspired to sentence him to death? The Roman soldiers who actually nailed him to the cross and gambled for his clothing? The mocking crowd who taunted him? The answer must be all of the above and more. In one sense, the scope of the prayer surely extends beyond the people who were there that day to every person who's ever trusted Christ and so received his forgiveness. After all, our sins put him there. We are every bit as culpable as the men who actually drove the nails through the sinless hands and feet. I love that. Father, forgive them. You and I are included in that as well. Now, he says here, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, what does this mean? Now, were these people who were doing this ignorant of their wrongdoing? And I think the answer to that's no. Uh, Judas knew he'd betrayed a friend. Pilate knew that he was uh, convicting an innocent man. The Sanhedrin knew they'd bribed false witnesses. Uh, none of those involved were ignorant of the existence of their guilt. But what I think they were ignorant of is the enormity of it. In other words, they, they knew what they were doing, but they didn't know what they were really doing. And they didn't know who they were doing it to. I mean, Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 2.8, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So their ignorance was a relative ignorance. They had no idea of the depth and the depravity of the crime they were committing. They couldn't fathom the magnitude of the atrocity that they were committing. So the crime was infinitely greater than they could have ever realized because of the infinite nature of the one they were murdering. They should have known and they would have known if they would have listened to his words, but their ignorance doesn't let them off the hook. 
Because even sins of ignorance need to be forgiven. God never lowers the standard of justice down to the level of our ignorance. Sins committed in ignorance are still sins. And all of us here have varying degrees of knowledge and culpability. Yet we all need forgiveness for all of our sins because sin is sin and can never be whitewashed. Now, years ago when I read this verse, when I was younger, I used to always be left wondering, does this mean that everybody connected with the crucifixion got forgiven? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It clearly doesn't mean that, but what it does mean is that Jesus was praying that his death would be effective for all who would call out to him in faith and receive a pardon. We know that the, the centurion who oversaw the crucifixion were forgiven, and others came to Christ for forgiveness. What we see here is that Jesus offered a royal pardon to every person who will call upon his name. Forgiveness is always dependent on our response of faith. It must be accepted. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, let me give just four simple points of significance as we close here tonight, four thoughts to take with us, four applications about forgiveness. The first one is the extent of forgiveness. No sin is too great for God to forgive. You might say, well, you know, you don't know what I've done. Well, if Jesus could forgive his murderers, think about that. They committed deicide, not homicide, not a person killing another person, but people killing God himself. They committed deicide. If God can forgive them, he can forgive any sinner. I mean, it's an argument from the, uh, the greater to the lesser. If there's forgiveness for murdering the Son of God, then there's forgiveness for every and any transgression that any human being can commit. So no thought, no action, no motive is beyond uh, the mercy of God. No sin is unforgivable. I know somebody's thinking tonight, well, what about the unpardonable sin? Well, I don't want to get into that tonight, but uh, the the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think that sin could only be committed when Jesus was on the earth because it was attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. Jesus is not on the earth physically now, so that was a unique sin in that generation, I believe. So today, no sin is unforgivable. No sin is outside the scope of the grace of God. And so you and I need to savor these words of forgiveness tonight because Jesus Christ built a bridge of forgiveness from himself to us no matter what we've done. There's a great story, I'll read this quickly, about a man named Tokichi Ishii. Um, he learned after two women, came to his prison, uh, two women came to his prison cell to talk about Jesus Christ. He had an almost unparalleled criminal record, having murdered men, women, and children in the most brutal way and was awaiting his just execution. As the Christian women spoke, he glowered at them like a savage animal. Eventually, they gave up trying to talk with him but left a Bible in his cell. He picked it up and began to read, and he kept reading. He couldn't put it down. Finally, he came to the point in the gospel where Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Tokichi later recalled, I stopped, I was stabbed to the heart as if pierced by a five-inch nail. Shall I call it the love of Christ? Shall I call it his compassion? I do not know what to call it. I only know what I believed, and my hardness of heart was changed. Believing in Jesus through the word of his gospel, he received the beginning of resurrection life. Later, the jailer that came to lead him to the scaffold said he found not the hardened, surly brute he'd expected, but a smiling, radiant man. For the murder had been born again. Literally, Christ brought Tokichi Ishii to life. He was forgiven. So his words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Those words at the cross tell us that anyone, no matter how sinful, can be forgiven. We need to remind ourselves of that. A second point I would mention is just this, very quickly, uh, the extension of forgiveness. You and I, having received the gift of forgiveness, need to tell other people about it. The only way they can come to heaven is through Christ. And if we've received the gift of forgiveness ourselves, we need to be in the business of telling others the good news. And we need to remind ourselves of that often. Uh, The third thing is the expression of forgiveness. We need to forgive other people. Once we've experienced forgiveness, we need to express forgiveness to extend mercy to other people. I like the story of the famed British uh, dramatist, uh, Frederick Lonsdale. He was celebrating New Year's Eve at London's Garrett Club. He was approached by a fellow playwright, Sir Arthur Seymour Hicks. Pointing to a man across the room, a fellow member of the club, Hicks suggested to Lonsdale that the close of the old year and the beginning of the new year was a good time to patch up differences. Lonsdale had clashed and quarreled many times with the man across the room and had stubbornly resisted restoring their friendship. Why don't you go over now and wish him a happy new year, Hicks said. Lonsdale agreed to do so. He crossed the room, tapped his foe on the shoulder. Then Lonsdale told the man, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. (laughs) that's how we are sometimes isn't it I mean we'll just kind of eke it out a little bit but you and I have the power to forgive but the question is uh, is it in our nature and it should be in our nature if we've been born again because Jesus lives inside of us and he will empower us to do that so if there's someone you need to forgive you need to let go of the bitterness and the desire for revenge having received his forgiveness you need to forgive others And then the final thing, and this is the most important one for us, I call this the experience of forgiveness. You and I need to receive Christ's pardon. Everybody's not automatically forgiven. You have to ask for it. You have to request it. You have to receive it. A lot of you know I love the old quote that Jesus didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. He came to forgive us. And we can receive his royal pardon at any time for the forgiveness of our sins. There's a great old song by Charles Wesley. The title of it is, Arise, My Soul, Arise. And one of the verses says, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. That's his prayer for you and for me this evening. And every one of us here tonight are part of the them. Father, forgive them because our sin put him on the cross. One of the best things I've read in the last month or two is a statement by Charles Spurgeon about this verse. Spurgeon said he loved this prayer because of the indistinctness of it, that Jesus left it open-ended. Spurgeon loved to say that Jesus prayed for them without ever saying specifically who them included. And then he said this, now into that pronoun them, I feel that I can crawl. Can you get in there? Oh, by a humble faith, appropriate the cross of Christ by trusting in it and get into that big little word, them. Isn't that beautiful? You and I can crawl into that big little word, them. We can be forgiven by receiving the pardon that Jesus purchased. Forgiveness isn't something we work for. The Bible says it's something we ask for. And I pray that everyone here tonight has asked for it, that you've trusted Jesus Christ who died for the guilty. Have you crawled into that big little word, them? 
and receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. If you haven't done that, do it right now, right where you sit. Take Jesus to be your Savior. And if you have experienced His forgiveness, then let's praise Him and thank Him and worship His great name. And we'll continue to do that in a moment as we sing together. But let's pray. Father, we thank You that it's in Your power to forgive. But Father, we thank You even more that it's in Your nature to forgive. We thank You that You're a forgiving God. That that forgiveness has been made possible through the work of Your Son. And Father, I thank You that each one of us here tonight can crawl into that big little word, them, and receive the forgiveness of our sins and have them washed away. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. May his name be praised forever. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together about the cross. survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss Contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flew mingled down. Sorrow means 
we're the whole realm. last time how great is our God and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God all will see how great how great 